I was told by a health professional, you've got to make a big change soon or you're going to have problems later on. And I let my health go over that period. And it was quite, quite crazy to be that person. That's insane. Overnight success takes a thousand nights. Connected fitness is something that people are willing to spend money on in the home. In hindsight, what we didn't realise is what we were actually doing by doing that exercise is we ended up building out our own supply chain for what magic is now. There's no textbook that will teach you stuff like this. Part of your board now, angel investors, including the chief product officer at Spotify, CEO of Heights. I was the guy who used to always read those sort of TechCrunch articles and be like, how the hell do they get those people on board? How? This is one of the clear examples of where having a co-founder is so important. You acclimatise yourself to that constant sense of uncertainty. All the things that you would think would, uh, would, would affect um, our business, you didn't think it would be something you know, something going on on the other side of the world. My next guest is someone who Virgin called This Is What A Founder Looks Like. Now his products are stocked in Selfridges, has received press coverage in the likes of Sherlux, Evening Standard, The Times, and has recently secured $2.5 million in funding during one of the hardest times ever to raise venture capital investment. Founder and CEO of Magic AI, Varun Banner, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. So you came from a bit more of a traditional background. You went into corporate law before deciding this is not yeah. the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? Um, ridiculous. It was um, a real journey. I mean, I thought I would go down a very traditional route initially, like, you know, get a degree and, and, and go into a corporate role. And I think just in my first year, I was straight away, I was, you know, I remember going into this office in this um, investment bank and just going in and sitting in this box office and thinking, I've spent my whole life basically leading up to this moment where, you know, finally graduated and done with school. And is this all my life's now going to be? Is it just going to be sitting here and pushing paper and looking at spreadsheets and numbers? And I, I, within about a year, I realized that uh, it was time to time to either decide now or I'm going to be here for the next 40. <laughs> so that, so um, that's ultimately what happened. Yeah. yeah, good for you. And it's funny that you made that decision. Even you were working in New York, so mm. super cool part of the world. But it was like, no, this is still, yeah. this is not, not the one. It was not the one. And actually... The one good thing I remember about being in New York, um, that was where I was originally working in a bank. I remember seeing the sort of tech scene, which was sort of not quite formed, but it was sort of bubbling beneath the surface. And I started wandering into various tech events and meetups and startup uh, weekends. And um, there was nothing like that in London. I mean, I, I didn't even know what a startup was. And I don't think there was a single, you know, there was not a single success story out of the UK at that time. So I just sort of leaned into my curiosity and just started, as I said, wandering into these events uh, as a loner, just literally on my own, just trying to figure out what, what was going on. And I, that was really where I started getting inspired by all the innovation that could potentially happen. And when I came back to London, I saw that there was certainly something bubbling here and uh, wanted, I wanted a piece of it. I wanted to get in on the action. Mm, that's a great <laughs> point with you being you're lucky in that respect to be in New York where it's a little bit ahead of the curve. I want to come back to this as well because I know with your business, there's another much larger entity over stateside 
that's uh, in a similar sort of field. So we'll, we'll touch back on mm. that. But so you came back to London mm. and went into startup land. Then you decided to then study entrepreneurship as well, which I find yes. really fascinating. Yeah, I don't right. think I've met anyone <laughs> that's gone into business, founded a startup, but also felt the need to actually study, you know, not even, <laughs> not even business studies, but like entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was, I was stupid enough to go and study it as well. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, you're right, actually. I didn't know many people who had who had done it either at that point. Um, what made you feel? Why well, did you feel like you had? I'll the be need very to honest. It? I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I'd started. I'd managed a sort of hustler, unpaid internship at uh, this startup called Hubble. This was like 2014. Um, I was the first employee there. There was just three of us, and I didn't know anything about the world of business, about entrepreneurs. Um, obviously, tech. I didn't didn't know much about. Um, and so. What I thought is, well, you know, I never learned anything about this when I was at uni, but maybe and maybe now I have the opportunity to do that. And mm. fortunately, I saw there was a, a postgraduate course out there for entrepreneurship, it literally called uh, Postgraduate in, in Entrepreneurship. And um, yeah, over the course, I think I think I did it part time over two years and, and um, graduated in the end, which was which was a great experience. You always learn something looking back. Um, I do have some views on it, um, whether I would recommend other people to do that. And the truth is, is that you don't need to do these things to if you want to start a business, you want to uh, go into entrepreneurship. You do not need to go to any course. And I know there's loads of these things on the Internet nowadays trying to flog like, oh, learn how to do this. Honestly, the best way to learn is just by jumping like two feet in and there will be mistakes and the learning curve will be very steep but there is no substitution for for actually just doing that and being it and and by the way uh, on that point like most people you meet in business schools and, and and people who do mbas and stuff they the people teaching are not really entrepreneurs themselves they are people who know a lot about management and have studied sort of things in the in the realm of finance and management so they don't really know how if you want to i don't know start a new water brand like this over here they, they're probably not the people who are going to help you do that mm, um, subject matter experts in exactly. their respective fields it's like the saying goes you know plan is great until you get punched in the face right <laughs> and it's a com compare that to yeah. studying courses and yeah i guess that's all the theory and i'm sure you learn a lot and yeah. perhaps the connections were one of the best things you got from that too yes, but yeah, absolutely. the reality of actually mm. getting stuck in there's so many variables mm. it's the real world that you've actually yeah. got to you know put it in yeah so you went into startup land back here in london did a part-time postgrad in entrepreneurship and uh, and alongside this you had your own kind of fitness journey so i heard that I don't know whether I've got the timelines completely mm. correct, but I heard that you took your body fat down from 27 to 7%. Yeah, you right. went from this diet of kebabs and whiskey. <laughs> what was, so I'm just curious about that as well before we get, you know, because yeah. obviously this all builds up to magic AI. Um, what what was the impetus first and foremost for that? Like, did you yeah, have a- great question. So um, yeah, you know, Growing out of um, university and then going into this startup hubble that I was at, um, it was a very stressful lifestyle, I guess, building an early stage company. Um, obviously, I wasn't the founder, but part of the founding team. So uh, all the frustrations that come with being in an early, early stage. And I let my health go over that period. I had very bad habits that 
I'd probably picked up at university and never really recovered from. So yeah, I, I think you caught it out. caught it. Yeah, whiskey and kebabs was the <laughs> main menu most of the time. And I ballooned, to be honest with you, in my 20s. And um, I was told by a health professional at the time, said that, you know, you, you've got to make a big change soon or you're going to have problems later on. And my family have lots of hereditary things and I could see exactly the direction I was going in. And um, so, so one day I literally woke up, I got in touch with a personal training uh, studio just down the road from here, actually, in, 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 in London, in Shoreditch. And over the course of, I think, about four months, I lost, uh, yeah, I think you got the numbers right. I think I, I came down from 27 or 30 down to about seven. That's insane. Um, and did like a shoot and, and um, uh, like with, a bit like this, actually, with all these cameras. Um, but, uh, and it was quite, quite crazy to be that person um, because, you know, I'd always seen these, you know, cover uh, people on the covers of these men's health and all that. I never thought I would ever, ever do that. Type so you of were thing. one of those. You were like a before and after. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Wow. Yeah. 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 And in a magazine or an ad. Uh, no, I don't or? think it. I don't think it came in any <laughs> magazine. <laughs> Not yet. Anyway, just their own promotional. Um, yeah. 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 Studio. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. We we did it just 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 over there, and um, you know, I, as I said, I'd never been that type of person to ever walk into a gym. I didn't know how to lift a weight. I was too scared, too intimidated. And I think going through that journey in the evenings and in the daytime, I was working in a tech company. Uh, it made me think, well, maybe there's a way how we could use technology to automate and uh, democratize this experience for people at scale and bring this, what well, was quite, it's quite ex expensive, but anywhere you go, personal training is pretty expensive. I mean, around here, it would be, you know, it could be up to a hundred an hour and in, in other places, maybe at, at cheapest you get is like 40 or 50 pounds an hour. So it's pretty expensive for anyone. And um, uh, we started to think, well, can we use technology to automate this experience for people um, at scale? And that was really the seed of the idea, which led us to start building uh, what we're building now with Magic. And so you say us. So did you find a co-founder? How mm. did things start to get going? Now we get into Magic AI. Yeah. So um, I, my co-founder is uh, Sunil, who I met when I was at Hubble. So he was heading up product over there. I did a terrific job, a completely different product. It was nothing to do with wellness and fitness, but had a clear analytical, uh, really smart product mindset, um, you know, much smarter than, 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 I'll, than I'll ever be. And I was like, this is the exact kind of person we, that would be great. I think he came on board, Not it wasn't day zero. It was, um, I think we'd already had like a very rough prototype by then. Um, and then uh, he came on board and then, uh, you know, the rest was history after that, which right. was great. Yeah. And did you, so starting out, did you secure any external fundraising? Was it bootstrapped? How did you start to get this off the ground, especially mm. for something that's like physical hardware? Yeah, great question. It's really, really tough to bootstrap something which is hardware, but also something which is quite complex and large and heavy. Um, and particularly if it has any kind of AI in it, um, which which is which is a whole nother, whole nother challenge and, 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 and complexity. So the first thing we did was to fund, I, I knew that there was no way we were going to get any investment if we didn't at least have some kind of prototype that, that we could say, you know, this is what we've got. It works. Here's a demo. And if you just give us a bit of money, we might be able to turn this into something. So I knew we had to get to that point. And without that, we wouldn't get very far. So 
we bootstrapped it as much as possible. We did two things. The first is we took out a startup loan by Virgin. So Virgin Startup, incredible organization. They give startup loans to people um, who, are, who literally have no track record. <laughs> and it sounds as, as wacky as it is. Um, but that that initial uh, capital got us just just got the got the wheels wheels turning I suppose and I took a desk literally at an office on this road actually uh, literally just one person desk in a co-working space so we could start like start moving things along and I put put the prototype up there um, and the second thing we did was um, we raised money by bootstrapping and the way we did that is during COVID um, this was sort of 2020 20 going into 2021 we realized loads of people wanted fitness equipment. So nothing to do with actually what we're doing with magic. But what we did is we managed to import a bunch of treadmills. We um, we managed to secure a container of folding treadmills. And then we sold them just on Amazon and, um, and on our own website. Um, and I think we sort of managed to raise about 50K or something from, from doing that. Wow. And... Um, we used the proceeds of that to then fund the first uh, prototype of Funny. the product. And what was really interesting is in hindsight, what we didn't realize is what we were actually doing by doing that exercise is we ended up building out our own supply chain for yeah. what magic is now. We learned about factories, we learned about freight, we learned about import and duty and VAT and uh, how to warehouse in the UK and, and do fulfillment for heavy, specifically for heavy products because it, it weighed, uh, you know, 20, 30 kilos. So, we learned so much just by it. It kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Um, uh, when it's like you learn by doing, and there's no textbook that will teach you stuff like this. You you just have to go right. for it. It was a risk. We could have lost money doing it, um, but fortunately, it worked out, and we we managed to make a bit of a profit to to just fund the first first prototype. Yeah, amazing, fantastic. <laughs> and so, for anyone who isn't as familiar with Magic AI, so obviously mm -hmm. with Hinter, obviously. Big, big heavy mirrors, are they for personal use or are they more kind of B2B for gyms or both? Yeah, um, so they're not too heavy. They're about um, 80, although I did say heavy. I mean, um, they're about 18 kilo, so um, a little bit heavier than your a standard mirror you might just put up in your home because it has a whole computer in. But actually, when you see it, it doesn't really look like it's any anything uh, different. It's it, 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 When it's off, it just looks like a beautiful piece of, of furniture. Um, with the product, so what it is, yeah, it's a beautiful mirror. You put it up on your wall or it leans up. You turn it on with a touch screen, and suddenly you have this hologram personal trainer that appears. And you can follow a series of like workouts, programs, classes that they put together for you. And so you can follow this trainer. There's a, there's a, obviously it's mirrored, so you can see yourself at the same time. So when you're following their movements, you can kind of check a bit like when you go to a gym studio, you can see yourself, right? Then, where things get really freaky is um, there is an embedded camera inside. So when you're actually following the trainer, you will actually get live feedback into your form. It corrects you when you're doing it wrong. It counts your reps. It guides you on your weights and turn, you know, whether you need to increase or decrease. So it gives you like a, like a form quality score at the end. So really kind of like what I was saying at the beginning, the big problem we set out to solve was, was how can we replicate personal training one-to-one personal training and bring that hyper personalized experience into the home and using that ai that we've developed that's how we that's how we do it um and um yeah it's been so far so good <laughs> quick fun fact did you know that the annual spend on outsourcing and hiring agencies is 900 billion dollars this year alone that's why I'm so proud to collaborate with 50pros.com, a new and fast-growing platform that connects highly vetted agencies 
with companies looking for their next marketing partner. If you've ever had to source your own agency before, then you'll know unless you've had a good referral, it can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. That's why with 50pros.com, they provide you with a curated, vetted, no-noise directory of only the top 50 firms within 50 categories. Head to the link in the show notes, 50pros.com, and I really hope this helps you get it right with your next marketing partner. All right, let's get back to the show. It sounds a lot like I mentioned at the start, we're talking about your early days mm. in New York mm. and earlier career days there. Um, Mirror is the competitor. I'm sure uh -huh. you've got uh, some kind of edge over them, which I'd love to hear about. They were acquired by Lululemon yeah. a few years ago, but I think around $500 million. Yeah, so right. Huge, made the news, founded by an ex-ballerina. <laughs> so great story. Sounds extremely similar. So I guess, do you look to them as a proof uh, um, proof point of validation, you know they they were acquired by this bigger mm, public mm. business for huge amounts of money. Or you, the flip side to that is, I'm not actually sure about their market penetration mm. and how you know. Again, it sounds like a great concept, mm. but they're not in everyone's homes. Right, right. They're not super affordable. Mm. So I guess, yeah, just, just thoughts yeah, yeah. on, you know, what you're building with Magic AI and how you compare to the, the US competitor that's a bit Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we certainly took a lot of inspiration from not just not just Mirror, but there's a number of companies. I mean, Peloton were a huge success story in 2016 and then they IPO'd in 2019 before COVID. So a huge, huge success story all, all across the world. And so I think when we were developing and thinking about the ideas, I think Peloton in the US gave us a lot of validation that connected fitness is something that people are willing to spend money on in the home in the same way how people have, have spent money on, you know, over the last 30 years, they've started spending money on gaming consoles rather than going to arcades or investing in TV and, and Netflix and DVDs rather than necessarily always going to the cinema. So we could clearly see that there was a, a version of the future where people may not always want to go to a gym or, or a boutique studio to do a spin class they may want to have a bike in their home and so we thought well one-to-one -one personal training is actually something that's actually far more expensive um it's typically something that people find far more intimidating if we could bring it into a safe space in the home that's a huge win for you know not just us as a company but also just for people and um, being able to, as I said, democratize access. Where Mirror um, haven't done well is that they have no AI in their product. So actually it's just a TV inside a mirror. So whilst I, they've actually done very well in my opinion, and, and, and in fact, I think they have, their subscriber numbers are in the six figures. So they're not doing too badly, um, which is what justified, I think their half a billion acquisition. But um, when you when you follow it, it's just like watching a TV program. So you don't get any, um, or a YouTube video even, you don't get any feedback. It doesn't correct you, it doesn't count your reps. It doesn't, and 99% and of our customers buy our product for that um, because they're like, this is like a personal trainer. Um, so uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting one because they clearly have done very well with a product that's far more simple. Um, and I can go into a lot more detail and probably talk for a whole nother podcast about <laughs> the ins and outs of why, but, but fundamentally their hardware isn't set up to be able to process, um, AI and, and the camera imaging in the way how ours is. Interesting. So I guess you could call it in some sense the second mover advantage, mm. which is, um, you know, we understood what they were not doing and what the customer would probably want that they not, don't have. And we set ourselves up for success. Um, but but look, in any case, um, they're a US-based company. They only ship and sell in the US. 
um and and you know we're, we're a uk company and very proud to to ship to the uk and 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 you and we do ship to europe as well and hopefully one day the us amazing <laughs> well kudos to you guys even more so it sounds amazing i want one so i'm gonna head straight over to Selfridges. <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing and i mentioned at the start you know you've got all these fantastic accolades you're in you're stocked in Selfridges now you've had all this press coverage so huge congratulations on that but what i love that you'd said to me before was overnight success takes <laughs> a thousand nights or something along those lines so you've been going at it for a few years yes. and despite all the highs and the glitz and glamour that we all see online and everything else obviously it's not all been plain no, sailing no. so uh, the theme of strategy and tragedy is obviously the highs and the lows and yeah uh, and you've come up against quite a few obstacles with your yeah. products haven't you along the way so what's been some of the real shit storms <laughs> yeah great question i think the 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 very the very first one was just trying to convince investors that we were a product worth investing in and i think part of the uk is that we are slightly more averse to hardware products slightly more averse to kind of um like all the connected fit it's kind of like what we we're just talking about that all a lot of the world's connected fitness success stories will come from america so we don't have a huge track record so trying to convince people and investors that yeah we are the not only is this a good idea but we are the people who are actually going to execute this idea was pretty pretty difficult right we've got no experience in connected fitness really um other than my own personal journey um my co-founder is good at ai but not like necessarily to the level that we could build this whole thing out so that was a real obstacle is, you know, trying to convince people that um, we were we, we were worth worth betting on. And I think the big the big thing that made the difference was getting that that initial prototype out there. Yeah, actually having something real, real. on that note, because I want to get into your your fundraise again. Mm. And congratulations. Thank you, Anyone yeah. who's raised venture capital investment mm. during these times is we'll a have huge achievement. Of, we'll have lots of gray hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah or no hair. Yeah. A few more gray hairs coming through. Yes. And um, part of your investor board now are kind of some a individual angel investors, including mm, mm. the chief product officer at Spotify, mm. uh, CEO of Heights. How did you get those individual profiles, those amazing yeah, people right. <laughs> to invest? You know, you say it's hard enough anyway to secure the yeah, fundraise. Right. So talk us through like really like practical, like yeah. did you already know those guys? Did you have to schmooze some mutual connections? How did you go about <laughs> There's it? There's definitely a lot of schmoozing <laughs> with any, I think, fundraise. You've got to you've got to really play the, play the game. Dial up the schmooze. That's that's for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, in fact, if that's that's a good postgraduate to do in schmoozing. If there's if there's a course <laughs> course out there, University of Cambridge, you yeah. heard it here first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The um, it's funny because I was the guy who used to always read those sort of TechCrunch articles and be like, how the hell did they get those people on board? Right. How, wow, have they got those angels involved. And um, it's funny because we never really initially went out to try and win this specific angel, that specific angel. It was very much like we just need some money <laughs> so we don't die. And um, we we won a few initial angels, no one high, high profile or anything like that, um, who, who were just willing to put in a bit of money. Um, when I say a bit of money, I mean, I think they must have done like a thousand pounds. So, so like very little okay. money, but we were able to then take that and say, go out to other people and say, look, we've already got some people on board. We didn't tell them how much they were on board mm. for. So look, we've got some people on board. It's this guy and this guy. And eventually sort of one became two and two became four and four became eight. And one of the investors was a, a guy who I literally just pitched to cold. His name's Dan Murray Serta. Um, it's quite big on LinkedIn and, and Instagram and everything. He 
runs Heights, which is a brain supplement brand. And I was a customer of, of Heights. So I, I bought the product and subscribed to it. I'm still a subscriber. And I, after about a few months, I saw that he was investing in companies and always talking about it. I wrote him an email, but in the email, I didn't mention anything about um, our investment or our fundraise. I said, I just emailed him, ask, giving him feedback about his product heights. I said, um, you know, why don't you increase the size of the bottle and it might fit through the letterbox. And just little random things like that. And have you considered, you know, maybe doing a subscription which does this and just random ideas that I had. And um, lovely guy he is, he replied and said, this is fantastic, thanks so much. And I've passed it to the product team and whatever. Then about a week or two weeks later, I shot him another email and just said, hey, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) we're doing a raise at the moment. And, um, you know, I heard you angel invest. And and you know what? He he was completely on board. Um, he, he, He pretty much said yes. I'm not even sure if it was the same day, but within about a week or so, he had said yes. And not only that, but he'd actually taken our deck and then sent it round to all of his pals. And, and some of them were some very high profile people who didn't actually invest, some of them. Um, and we also got some, by the way, some really negative feedback from some people as well, which was really helpful because it helped us improve the pitch before we went to actual venture capital funds and things. But um, that's basically how it happened. How to, if you ever want to get like high profile angels involved, I think if you can get the buy-in of one somehow, mm. and even if you have to uh, become, you know, a customer of theirs, there's there's no, you know, it's there's no, um, you've got nothing to lose. And if you can offer something to give them to start off with, it it, it it's it's a way of fostering and nurturing the relationship, right? Fantastic. Yeah. That's so interesting. Thank <laughs> you for breaking that down because what we can take away from that, I think, is leverage the social proof to get the ball rolling with whoever you can even if they're putting in a grand yes they don't need to know that right right. so leverage the social proof and then strategically with those bigger bets Mm. is get on their radar in a way that isn't straight up like asking for money just asking for money exactly exactly how interesting i think adding value is just the most important Mm. thing in, in in general even adding value to people who you have nothing to gain something from is always important and and that's what I think propels this community really. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Well, congratulations again. <laughs> I know that the whole process is so grueling of raising yeah. you know, capital. Yeah, that <laughs> mm. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like full of full of pain. How how did you kind of balance? Because like, I I heard about you know you really keep um, strict with yourself in terms of priorities. You know, for the team, you make sure that you know you're not too thinly spread. Like this is these are our milestones. This right. is our roadmap. How do you balance that when you've got fundraising going on at the same time yeah. how do you make sure that you're staying true to, to those priorities yeah i think i think one of the there's always been this debate about having a co-founder and not having a co-founder and i think this is one of the clear examples of where having a co-founder is so important because if one of you has to focus on you know fundraising and keeping the company al- alive uh, the other one focuses also on keeping the company alive you know internally and um, that's where my co-founder Sunil came in, came in, um, you know, so much help. Uh, I, honestly, people who I've, I have a lot of respect for solo founders who go out there because I don't know how they do it. Um, at the same time, they're probably, you know, working 25 hours a day or whatever. I don't know. But um, the best thing to do is just just find someone you can lean on yeah. who can help you along, yeah. along the Fantastic. way. Fantastic. Amazing. And um, well, again, kudos. It's great that you've got mm. kind of a good co-founder relationship <laughs> and a team that you can kind of build build yeah. things up along with that. Um, what I'm curious as well about is the um, 
you again we kind of you know you achieved these different things uh i remember listening to you talk about how um startup land being an entrepreneur is is so stressful that you i think the way you phrased it was you acclimatize yourself to that constant sense of uncertainty mm, to, to the mm. stress which does not right, which right. doesn't sound healthy <laughs> but it, it is the reality yeah, of startup life yeah. obviously so you know what are some of those you've mentioned you know some really unexpected issues of aro- arose over the years what were some real kind of like you know shit's hit the fan you mentioned about you know manufacturing batches that didn't arrive yeah so a huge one was we had just closed our round of funding and all these investors are there and holding their breath ready for this big story big uh, success that we've promised and i think the ukraine war hit i think that month and that very same month i think it was like march or april 2022 and we and that had a knock-on effect with the with well first of all like the pricing of 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 products and raw, raw products around the world and also the shipping length uh, of time. And shipping lengths were already still quite long because of COVID. Um, They were still pretty expensive and and long. So suddenly there's this war we've got to contend with where um, suddenly the cost of our our goods was so high. And even if we did get them here, it would be so much more expensive. Um, So we had to just be really, really smart with how we managed our finances and and, and also customers and making sure we didn't, um, you know, manage their expectations right. Mm. And it was just this random thing that's just happened overnight. And you're just kind of like, of all the things that you would think would... uh, would would affect um our business you didn't think it would be something you know something going on on the other side of the world right. but but um that was something we we dealt with and i think just dealing with that uncertainty of you know are we going to be able to afford this is it going to happen are we mm. going to lose you know loads of money straight away uh, because each of our shipments is very expensive because the product costs a lot to make each mm. one and so um it, it, we can we, it's not like we can just fly them on a plane or whatever and, is it, and so it was um very very um uh, a very uncertain period and, and there have been many many periods like that where we've just not been mm. sure about is this the right thing to do is this the right you know technology that we should be using and fortunately we seem to have just sort of come out and and made a made it work but it's it's been a very slow process of r&d and just getting there but yeah. i think if, it, if it's worth it if it if it's if it's going to be um difficult it's it's probably worth doing and yeah we'll get there in the end i can imagine there's another level of nervousness not only with a hardware business but when you're exposed mm. with an international supply chain mm. i don't know mm. where your products are mm. manufactured or mm. whether there's a whole link in the chain of like some parts coming from here other parts are assembled yeah. there yeah. and then they will need to be shipped in a container so is that how it works? That are you kind of so exposed across all these different elements? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of too many businesses that that probably aren't when it comes to making anything in electronics and screens and cameras. You you, you would have a supply chain. Um, it would be great to make things in the UK and maybe one day soon we'll we'll be able to do that. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that is the reality and um, it's something which I think perhaps when people jump into physical product type businesses. Um, is something that maybe they don't always realize um, mm. is maybe even if your product is made, I don't know if you make a food and drink business and your drink is made in the UK, you might still need to get the packaging from abroad or the, sure. the bits and parts. And that could affect the entire thing mm. um, if you can't mm. package it up. So there's lots of considerations. I think people, you know, people should always 
kind of think about right right from the start yeah we're all part <laughs> of this wider yeah. and i guess this is where like brexit and war right. in ukraine and as you say like <laughs> things going on in other parts of the world that yeah. still affect you here at home sat in london mm. so it's all part of that yeah. um so you know you did your your course in entrepreneurship but are there also like any books or entrepreneurs that you look up to or anything that you've really kind of that you look towards elsewhere to help guide you through those tough times or knowing how to navigate some of those yeah i i i've read um a few of the the big ones the the, the classics like shoe dog which is a great one. i had a feeling you'd say that this is where i asked you the question i sort yeah. of had shoe dog in my mind because it's funny because my my co-founder sunil and i went out to the far east just two months ago and it literally was a bit like shoe dog we're, felt we're, like we're, reliving that. we're sit, sitting in a tiny uh room at the back of some factory when it's like 40 40 degrees and we're trying to like whip out our notepad and you know hash some deal with, with these guys um, and we have like a translator with us. So it was very much That's like so the funny. Nike, yeah. a bit like the Nike story. Um, in the early days. Yeah, but I'll be honest, I'll tell you where I get a lot of value is actually in, in working with, um, so I've had a coach. Um, I've, I've got a therapist at the moment as well, who I, who I speak with, um, who I actually meet uh, once a week. Amazing. And in person, which makes a huge difference. And I think I'd recommend to any, any founders is if you can have like a couple, like a crutch to lean on. Mm especially if they're someone who's somewhat been there before and mm. been through the, you know, walked the journey before, that adds so much value beyond whatever you're paying them to, you know, just being able to sleep a little bit better mm. and not be as stressed and deal with family things better. So I think um, having having a coach for, you know, your personal life as, mm. as well as perhaps business. That's great. such a great piece of advice. And I am totally converted as well. I'm totally with you. I very, very naively used to think, you know, when I was first starting out in business, I, this is horror. I hate to say it. I've totally changed my mind on it, but I used to always look quite disparagingly at people who needed a coach and mm. whatever kind of coach I used to be like, well, did you not go into business because mm. you're a business person? Like <laughs> what, you know? And I used to think it was a bit of a pyramid scheme mm. sort of scam to it until mm. I met an amazing one who I've been working with for a few years and I'm really opened my eyes up to and like anything, you know, you mentioned Shoe Dog and Nike and mm. you've always got the sports and the entrepreneurship analogy and it's like, well, the best athletes yeah, right. still need coaches. Yeah, so absolutely. So I love yeah. that, you know, you mentioned that you use a great one as well. So well done. Um, Baron, it's been fantastic to have you. My final question, which I always end our episodes on, is the best lessons I think often come from the biggest mistakes. Again, strategy and tragedy, very much the highs and lows of business. What's one tragedy, if you will, that's happened to you that's really taught you the biggest lesson? It kind of goes back to when I was started off when I was talking about how I was sitting in this bank and um, just pushing paper and just felt like a cog in the wheel. And one of the things I realized is that you can fail. Like when I was trying to, I was trying to decide, am I going to take a leap of faith and quit this corporate thing? Or am I going to actually um, take a leap of faith in, in starting a, starting a business. And I remember hearing this, this, this quote, which was, you can fail at doing something that you don't like to do very much. So you can fail at doing something you don't like to do very much. So you might as well take a chance and doing what you love. And what I realized is I could have failed at just, you know, being in a, 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 a comfortable environment where you just get paid and, you know, bumble along you can be happy you can actually fail doing that um 
And so what I realized is you might as well take a chance and doing what you love because you just don't know. It may end up working out. Mm. And um, that was a big, big lesson I learned from that from that experience fantastic that actually you know the risk is worth the reward especially if you know you're just kind of giving up the comfort the safety yeah actually you know you might you might fly who knows yes yeah (laughs) fantastic Varen thank you so much again for joining us it's been a pleasure to hear some of your story congratulations again on thank you for having me yeah thanks so much (laughs) If you made it this far into the podcast, then you are my new hero. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please hit that subscribe button. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much. Take care.